0: Welcome to the Zion Church Podcast. We are a church that is passionate about bringing heaven to earth by following Jesus, who demonstrated perfect Christianity. Romans chapter 12. And I'm just going to pray. Father, we just thank You for Your goodness, Lord. We thank You for Your love. We thank You for Your presence. Thank You, Jesus, that You are King. Come on. There is no other King. But King Jesus, the King of Kings, and Lord, we honour you today, Lord, and we just thank you for your Word, both the Logos and the Rhema, the written Word and the spoken Word. And Holy Ghost, I just yield to you right now, and I just pray that you would speak uh, to us and through me right now. I just yield to you. Because Jesus, when you speak, your words are spirit and they are life. So Lord, I just thank you today, the spirit and life. I thank you for transformation to come and be released right now in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. Awesome. So Romans chapter 12, we're going to start in the first couple of verses here. It says this in verse 1, it says, Paul's writing, he says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren. By the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. We're going to read the first couple of verses, but I just want to pause there for a moment. I beseech thee, it's very old fashioned English, isn't it? I I beseech you. He says, I'm inviting you, I'm encouraging you, brethren, uh, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living sacrifice. Holy and acceptable to God, which which is your reasonable service. So when he says your reasonable service, it basically means like, it's basically like spiritual common sense. Like this is the most reasonable thing that we can do as a Christian. It reminds me where it says here to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Uh, It reminds me of a verse in Romans chapter 6. I want to read it to you. Romans 6 verse uh, 12 I don't know what's going on there. Verse 12 and 13, uh, Paul says, "'Therefore do not let sin reign in your mortal body, "'that you should obey it in its lust. "'And do not present your members "'as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, "'but present yourselves to God "'as being alive from the dead "'and your members as instruments of righteousness to God.'" In the Greek there, that word where it says instruments is translated in the New King James, that word can also be translated as weapons. Don't present your bodies as weapons of unrighteousness to sin, but present them as instruments or weapons of righteousness, showing that you are alive from the dead. Is anyone in here alive from the dead today, spiritually speaking? And then going back to Romans chapter 12, verse 2, He goes on and He says this. Uh, he says, And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. You know, it's interesting here, it all starts with how you use yourself, how you, uh, whether you present yourselves to righteousness or to unrighteousness. He says, don't be conformed to this world. You know, it's an interesting thing about culture is culture is such a strong force that we don't even realise, realise how much we are indoctrinated and trained by culture. You know, it's not until you go to another country and you meet people who in in another nation and another culture, even Christians, and you realise how much culture dictates what we do, how we think, how we live, even as born-again Christians. The Bible teaches us not to be conformed to the world, to the pattern of the world. But He he makes this uh, interesting statement. He says, but be transformed. Transformed by the renewing of your mind, that or so that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. I've heard someone share before, uh, where it says that the good, perfect, and acceptable will of God that there are three levels to God's will. I don't believe that at all, I just believe these are adjectives explaining God's will. God doesn't have a a partial you know, permissible will and then his best will. It's either God's will or it's not God's will, yeah? It's either God's will that none should perish or it's not God's will that anyone, that people should perish at all. It's one or the other. But he's talking about this will and if we break it down, it says this, it, If we present ourselves to God, if we surrender to God and and we utilise our being, spirit, soul and body, according to righteousness, that's not conforming to the world. We're conforming to the pattern of heaven and that takes place, that transformation through the renewing of the mind. It's, it's interesting that word transformation that it says you may be transformed. It's the Greek word metamorpho. And you may have heard this before, but it's where we get the word metamorphosis from. It's actually the very same Greek word that's in Matthew chapter 17, where Jesus went up onto the Mount of Transfiguration and was turned inside out and he shone like the sun. It's this very same word. He was transfigured before them, he was metamorphosed, he was metamorphosis in front of them. And it's, you know, when we Think about that word metamorphosis or metamorphosis. We quite often will think of something like a a butterfly, yeah? The whole That whole journey from a caterpillar caterpillar to a butterfly. And I just wanted to share a couple of thoughts about that today, which is really interesting when we think about the metamorphosis of a caterpillar into a butterfly. Because when we look at a caterpillar and a butterfly, they look like two very different things. But did you know that in both uh, both forms of that creature, whether it's a caterpillar or a butterfly, did you know that it has the exact same DNA? A caterpillar doesn't become something different. The features, the, the genes... That are in that are there to make a butterfly are actually dormant inside the caterpillar, and it's through the process of that metamorpho that metamorphosis that a caterpillar is actually deconstructed or reconstructed, and those aspects in its DNA that were that were dormant for wings for all those features they're actually rearranged and those things come to the surface. Uh, Some interesting facts about a caterpillar uh, in becoming a butterfly that, that scientists actually say that when a caterpillar turns into a chrysalis, that it's actually devouring itself. It's kind of a crazy thing. It's, it's actually, uh, I know it's kind of gross. We're talking about ingrown toenails and caterpillars devouring themselves. It's gross church today. But um, no, caterpillars actually, they, they break down their whole body and their body is reconstructed inside that chrysalis. It's, it's an incredible thought, but the interesting thing, like I said, is that they don't become something else. What is already inside them is unlocked through that journey. Same goes with us as Christians. When you come to Jesus, when you baptise in the Christ, the Bible says that you've become a new creation. You might not look quite like Jesus yet, but everything divine that is from the Father is now inside of you. And that divine potential is unlocked, comes to the surface, just like those aspects of a butterfly that's locked inside its caterpillar form. They, they come to the surface through that metamorphosis. And that metamorphosis comes through the renewing of of your mind. That word renewing uh, can also be thought of like this. Uh, it can also be translated as a renovation. So it's like buying an old house. It might be a little rough around the edges, might you know need a little bit of TLC, but you come in, you do work on the existing house and you renovate it. You renovate that house and it becomes different. It, it takes on a new form, but it's still the same house through the renewing Of the mind, you know, uh, when we when we look at that phrase there, the renewing of the mind, it's you know, it's really important to understand what the Bible is talking about because it says that transformation comes through the renewing of our mind, and the end result is that we would prove what. We've got worship music coming on. Not sure what's happening there. Back in track for today's sermon. The end result is that your life proves to people, it reveals to people what the will of God looks like. It's an interesting thought. I want us to have a look at another Scripture right now. It's in Ephesians chapter 4 and uh, in verse 17 through to 24. It's interesting when, when it says there, the renewing of the mind, that word mind is also translated as Understanding. Through the renovation of your understanding, there's a transformation that takes place that uncovers what God has already put inside of you. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17, Paul says this. He says, This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk. So what's he saying? Do not be conformed to the pattern of this world. Listen, he breaks it down. You'll see how it relates to the Scripture we're reading in Romans. He said, don't walk in the same way that they walk in the futility of their mind. That's the exact same word that we just read here in Romans 6. The futility of their mind, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them. Because of the blindness of their heart, who being past feeling have given themselves over to lewdness, to work all uncleanness with greediness. But you have not so learned Christ, if indeed you have heard him and been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus. We say it here all the time, if you want to know what the truth looks like, you just have to look at Jesus. When we look at the life of Jesus as revealed in the four Gospels, we see what the perfect will of God looks like. Jesus is the most normal Christian who ever lived, ever walked the planet. He says, guys, this is how we know what it looks like. We're not walking in darkness, having our understanding in this place of darkness and just continuing, there's the music again, continuing continuing to live just like the people that, just like those people that don't know God. But now we've seen what the truth is. Now we understand that Jesus is the truth. We've seen what life is supposed to look like because this is what, what cued that. Um, Yahweh phrase, because Jesus said, John fourteen six I am the way, I am the truth, and I'm the life. I'm what life looks like. Jesus is the picture of life. When we see that, we understand that, God begins to change our perspective of reality. God begins to uh, renovate or renew our level of understanding so that we have a framework that we might be able to walk in. So when it comes to our inner man, in a man, we can break it down in a few different ways. Uh, you know, it's commonly believed that we are a spirit, we have a soul and we live in a body. And again, there's, there can be some, some different variations of that. And quite often, Scripture, when it talks about your mind and your heart, it uses a lot of those phrases that, that are intertwined. It talks about understanding in your mind. The Bible also talks about understanding your heart. You know, Bible also talks about that when we believe that faith actually isn't a mind thing, it's a heart thing. And a good way to think of this is and understand the interconnectedness of your mind and your heart is possibly something like the communion that we had today. or Maybe even a bottle of water, if you bought a bottle of water right now, I could ask you the question, what is more important, the water or the bottle that you have? Well, maybe you could say the water's important, but you know what? You wouldn't be able to drink that water if it wasn't for the bottle. It'd just be in the carpet and it'd be useless. So our heart, our heart and our mind, our inner faculties are so interlinked together that, that there seems to be some level of difference, but the reality is, is they're so intertwined that one can't do without the other. And if you think of that, that water bottle analogy, think of your mind like the bottle. It's the framework. Your understanding creates the framework through which, in which rather, that faith can live and abide. So if your framework is this big, if you believe that God's kingdom is this big, that's your level of understanding, then that's about as much faith as you're going to be able to fit in there for God to be able to move in and through your life. But as God renovates our understanding, He renovates our mind, as we see Jesus, as we see what normal looks like, He begins to expand that framework. He begins to uh, expand our understanding so that we might be able to step into believing things that previously we didn't even know were possible. That's why faith is the substance of things hoped for. Ephesians 4, I'll keep reading here. Uh, But you have not so learned Christ as the truth is in Jesus. And then he goes on to say that you put off concerning your former conduct, the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts. And be renewed, there's that word again, be renewed in the spirit of your mind be renewed in the spirit of your mind and that you put on the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. I love, the, I love the terminology in Scripture where it takes talks about putting off and putting on. You know, I, I can't help but think of clothes like, you know, in that terminology. It's like, you know, you've got this old set of clothes that was your old man, your old identity, your old ways. You come to Christ, you get born again. But there is a putting off that you and I have to do. That's the amazing thing about, you know, when it talks about our body and about presenting our body to God as being alive from the dead, because sometimes we equate our ability to be tempted or our ability to sin with our identity. And the interesting thing is, is that when we're not in Christ, when we haven't been born again, the Bible says that we have indwelling sin. Romans chapter 6 talks about that God has set us free from indwelling sin. But prior to Christ, I'm, I'm under the power and the presence of the dominion of sin. The Bible calls it the law of sin and death. I abide under it. And when I'm, when I'm in that place, I actually don't have a choice, but I have to do what sin tells me to do because sin's my master. But now I've come to Christ. He set me free from the presence and the power and the dominion of sin. He set me free from the law of sin and death. Now that choice has been restored. So when we come to Jesus, He doesn't take away our free will. He doesn't take away our ability to sin. In fact, now He gives us the ability to walk free from it. Does that make sense? So once upon a time, I couldn't help myself. I just had to live in selfishness and live in sin. I didn't even know any better. That was my default. But now I've been set free from sin. Now I have the choice. Now I can choose, am I going to commit myself to sin or am I actually going to present my body to God as being alive from the dead and I'm going to use my body as weapon, as a weapon of righteousness? that choice is once again being restored. So we've got to make sure that we don't confuse our, our ability to be tempted or our ability to sin with the identity or with the presence of sin in our lives because the Bible says we've been free. I can pull it out in Scripture, Romans chapter 6. So time and time again, dozens of times, it talks about that you've been set free from sin. You've been set free from sin, free from indwelling sin. Uh, but it says this, that it, now it's on us now we have to steward, rightly steward your soul, your mind, your will, your emotions and your body. So if we think of our body kind of like a car and I'm driving down the street, it, the car is only as good as the driver. The car doesn't have a mind of itself. If all of a sudden I'm driving down the street and 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 all of a sudden the car veers off and I crash into a pole, and it did it of its own free will, then the car has a life in and of itself. It might be possessed. I don't know, but but it. That's not reality. The reality is, is that the car is only as good as the one that's driving it. The same thing with your body. Now, as a Christian, your body has been set free from the power and the presence and the pleasure of sin. Now you're behind the driver's uh, seat. You're, You're behind the wheel of the car and it's up to you how you steward your body. But if you present your members as instruments of unrighteousness, then it's going to lead to death. It's going to lead to destruction. It's going to lead to chaos, anxiety and oppression, all this kind of stuff. But you don't have to do that. If you present yourself as to God, then you're going to open yourself up to all that God has. And I talked a little bit about that aspect a couple of weeks ago. But, but what's important for us here to understand is, is that, uh, that these things are unraveled or unfolded rather through that metamorphosis that is the renewing of the mind. I kind of want to just sort of break that down a little bit. Uh, I've been asked to finish at five o'clock today and I didn't get up here until about 15 minutes ago. So I'm trying to jam all this in uh, really tight right now. Uh, but I, I want us to have a look at something here. Where were we uh, in, in Romans 12 there? I want us to have a think about this process. Like if we think of it backwards, and, and this, is a, this is a good thing for some of us to do sometimes, or for all of us to do, is that our life is supposed to show people what God's will looks like. Now, let me ask this question and you don't have to call this out. You can if you want to, but this is maybe some homework for all of us to do because we don't have time to do this that I was kind of hoping that we could. But if you were to sit down with a pen and paper or your notes on your phone and you were to pray and you were to prayerfully consider and have conversation with God about your life, Are there areas of your life, are there actions, are there behaviours, are there thought patterns, are there things that you do that if you're really honest, they don't reveal what God's will looks like? Maybe there is, maybe there isn't. But if there is... If there are areas of your life that doesn't reveal the will of God, doesn't prove what the will of God looks like, then something in this process has gone to So if we work backwards, that you might prove what is the perfect will of God. If there's an area that doesn't prove what the perfect will of God is, if we take a step back, there's an area of my understanding that still needs to be renovated to get that. There's something in my mind and my level of understanding that is keeping me in a place of bondage, might be keeping me in a place of wrong mindsets, wrong belief systems, and therefore that area of my life isn't revealing the perfect will of God. The truth is, is that there are some of us, maybe even in this room, that we don't actually see ourselves the way that God sees us. And until we see ourselves the way that God sees us, we're still going to constantly need that renovation. I talked about it a few weeks ago. I talked about the first step is understanding what the truth about God is. Because if we don't understand what the truth about He, or who He is, if we don't know who He is, we see Him through types and shadows and we've got misunderstanding, misinterpretation of the Father because we're His sons and daughters. If we don't understand Him, then we're never going to understand who we are. We're going to have confusion about our identity. But when we come into alignment with Jesus, when we come into alignment with Scripture, and we go, this is what the Father looks like. Jesus is the truth about the Father. And we allow God to renovate our mind, renew our level of understanding, and we begin to see God for who He really is as revealed through Christ. Then we start to discover the truth about who we've become as His sons and daughters. That is the renewing of the mind, the renovating of your understanding. You know, our mind and our heart are kind of like a garden bed and this is kind of where I want to finish up this afternoon. I've cut like this hour-long message into like 30 minutes. uh, So I've trimmed a lot of stuff out that was really in my heart to share. But I just want to um, invite you right now just to turn with me to, uh, sorry, to Matthew chapter 13. Matthew chapter 13. And... This is what I want. Yeah, let's let's just jump in. Matthew thirteen, and and we might just read. Oh gosh, help me, Jesus! I'm two minutes over time. Ten more minutes. I have approval. I have approval. It's getting hot in here, man. Like all the aircon. Who else is hot? I'm warmed up a bit, Nath. Can you can you put the blower on me? Thanks, bud. Uh, Matthew chapter. 13, and so we're probably going to jump straight into 18 because of time's sake, but this is Jesus explaining the parable of the sower. He's explained the parable of the sower. Now, in Luke's Gospel, where He explains the parable of the sower, the very first thing that He says is that the seed is the Word of God. You can check that out in Luke. The seed is the Word of God. So if we think about that as the foundation of what we're about to read I'm hoping that this is going to help to give you some practical tips. That's what my hope is today, where we're going to shift into talking about our mind, our thoughts, and how to steward the garden bed of our our soul, of our mind. Uh, but, But we need to do that with the basis of understanding that the analogy of the seed is the Word of God, what God says, what God thinks, God's perspective, Therefore, in verse 18, Therefore hear the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, there it is, understand it. Do you get it? That understanding is the framework through which faith can move and manifest. So they hear the Word, they hear God's perspective of reality, but there's no understanding that their, their mind hasn't been renewed enough to that, for that to change the framework of their understanding. Watch what happens. Then the wicked one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. This is he who receives seed by the wayside, but he who receives the seed on stony places, this is he who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Wow, that sounds amazing. Wow, that's incredible. Jesus loves me. Wow. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures only for a while. For when tribulation or persecution arises, because because of the word, immediately he stumbles. Now, something that's really important. I'm trying to breeze through this, but I, I need to say this. It's interesting that it says persecution and tribulation arises for what purpose? Because of the word. The devil hates the seed of God. The devil hates the Word of God. And when when he perceives that the seed of God's kingdom has been sowed, sowed into your soul, he will try to make war against that seed to stop you from receiving that seed. Because who knows that when you sow seeds in your garden, it's a little hard to get it out. We have a garden bed out the front of our house. And uh, once upon a time, we planted these little flower flowering plants in there. I don't even know what they were called. And half the time they looked dead like a weed and the other half they had flowers and Elise hated them. So we pulled them all up. But I don't know if you noticed, but they're growing again. <laughs> Dang it. They've been weed sprayed. They've had mulch on it and they're still growing. So this is the thing is that God knows and the devil knows that once the seed comes into your soul, it's a lot harder to uproot it, to get rid of it. So He works on coming against you to a point that that seed doesn't even take root because He understands this principle. So does God. So we're going we're gonna to keep reading here. Where was I, Lord? Uh, in Jewish time tribulation, for the words that He stumbles. Verse 22. Now he who receives seed among the thorns. Okay, now think about this. Seed on the wayside, you know, seed on stony places. Now this is someone who's receiving the Word of God, seed, where there's already been other seed that's been planted and growing. Do you see that? So what is seed? Seed grows a plant, yeah? Now there are already other plants that's in this person's heart. The Bible says that this, these things are thorns. And we're going to have a look at this in a moment. Uh, who, who receives the seeds among thorns? Is he who hears the word and the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and he becomes unfruitful. So, if you if you have a garden, you know this: that if you have good plants and weeds growing, weeds try to strangle the good plants; they try to push them out and take over the garden. Is that right? Elisa and I sometimes joke and it's like, who classify these things as weed? We say they're wild wildflowers. Let's just let them grow. It's just easier that way. But the reality is, is that if you have a garden, you understand that you have to constantly maintain that garden. Is that right? You have to constantly maintain that garden. You're going to make sure that only good seed is sown and that if there's any seed or anything that should come in to try and bring thorns, to try and bring weeds, is that it's our responsibility to take those things out, to deal with those things. And that's where we're going to get to in a moment. Uh, It becomes unfruitful. 23, but he who receives seed on the good ground is he who hears the Word and what? understands it. There's that word again. Your understanding is so important. In fact, God says in Hosea 4, He says, My people are destroyed because of their lack of knowledge or their lack of understanding. And in the world, we have the say, what you don't know won't hurt you. But the reality is, is what you don't know, what you don't understand, can be keeping you in a place of destruction. Our understanding is so vital. It's so important. So this is what he says. If you receive the Word and you understand it. So what's he saying? The seeds come in and you've surrendered, you've yielded to God. You've, you've had that posture like it talks about Romans 12. You've presented yourself to Him in humility and you've allowed what God has said, the Word of God to change the way that you're thinking. And it, as it's changed the way that you're thinking, you begin to understand reality the way that God understands it. In fact, when we read the word repent in the Gospels, even at the day of Pentecost, Acts chapter 2, verse 38, Peter says, Repent. We quite often think repent means I come down the front, the altar of a church meeting, I get on my knees and I cry and I feel sorry that I sinned. That word repent literally means to change your mind. Change your mind. It's important to God. God doesn't just want emotion. He doesn't want an emotional response. He wants you to change your mind, to not allow your mind to be filled with the wisdom of this world, which are like thorns that would quench and and cause unfruitfulness of God's seed that's sown in. But He wants you to yield yourself fully to Him and not allow yourselves to be conformed to the mindset of this world or to the pattern of this world, but yield to the pattern of heaven and allow the Word of God to renew your mind. Let's keep reading here. Oh my gosh. All right, we're doing okay. The reason why I'm reading the Matthew passage is because of what we're about to go now. Okay, and in the, in the, I think it's really important because quite often when we read about the parable of the wheat and the tares, we read it in the context of God saves some people, but the enemy's got other people in, in the camp and they're the tares and God's people are the wheat. And one day Jesus is going to come and He's going to... And there's a reality to that, but that's actually not what Jesus is talking about. Now, what is the seed that Jesus is talking about just here? It's the Word of God, isn't it? We just talked about that. So in the context, in the same breath, Jesus is explaining about the seed of the kingdom is the Word of God. So it's what God said. Same thing with Adam and Eve in the garden. God said to Adam, the day you eat the fruit of this tree is the day that you die. That's the seed. The seed went into Adam's heart. It's the Word of God. It's reality. It's it's real reality. Not the enemy's version, not the world's version. It's the reality according to God. It's the truth according to God. And there is no other way. There is no other truth or life. Adam received that word. The interesting thing is, is that uh, we don't know if God spoke that same commandment to Eve, but we assume that Adam was the one secondhand that relayed that to Eve. Now what happened was, is that Eve didn't get that straight from the Father, is the assumption. So again, you know me, that if it's written, I would say it. If it's an assumption, I'll make that clear. It is assumed that Eve got that information from her husband, Adam. So it's interesting that the devil didn't come to Adam, he came to Eve. Think about that. You cannot live off someone else's revelation. The devil came to Eve and said, did God really say? What did she say? God said that we can't eat the fruit of this tree and we can't even touch it lest we die. You know that she said that. Now the interesting thing is that God never said that to Adam. He said, you can't eat it or you're going to die. Somewhere along the line, like Chinese whispers, somewhere she's picked up that I can't even touch this fruit. It's interesting how people work, isn't it? So here we have the serpent trying to deceive Eve by sowing another seed. It's quite possible she didn't get the seed of that truth from straight from the source, but possibly through another. So therefore, when the tear came, it had more of a voice in her heart. Let's let's read this parable. The parable of the weed and the tears. Starting verse 24. Another parable he put forth to them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a man who what? sowed good seed in his field. It's the parable of the sower again. He's still on the same topic. So what is that good seed in light of what we're reading? It's the Word of God, isn't it? Good seed in his field. But while men slept, his enemy came, and what did the enemy do? Sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. Jesus was baptized in the river Jordan. The Father spoke a rhema word from heaven. This is my beloved Son. In him I am well pleased. The devil comes along. First temptation of Jesus. If you really are the Son of God, what was he trying to do? He was sowing his tear. Do you know what a tear is? A tear is. Is, is a type of grain that looks just like wheat, but it isn't. It's a false wheat, but it's, its seeds are black. Think about that. Get your head around that. Black like the venom that it is. It looks like wheat at first glance. It looks good to eat, good to make one wise, just like the fruit of the tree, but the reality is is that it's not real wheat. And this is what we need to really consider because the Bible says in the last days, uh, it's okay if I go here, in the last days, there will be a great deception. And the Bible says that even many of the elect have the possibility of being deceived. Now, the great deception, how could a great deception deceive the elect? It's not that some persons come along and they said, hey, I'm Jesus. Or it's like, you know, Jesus is this chair, so we need to worship the chair. It's not the stupid stuff. It's the test. It's the stuff that from a distance, it looks right. It sounds right. But if we look closer, something is not right. It's not in line with the kingdom of God. That's what the tears are that he's talking about. We could keep reading, but I I probably won't do this right now. I'm going to kind of try and land this thing. But I want to turn your attention to something else right here. Okay, so if if, if our heart, if our soul is like a garden, it's like the field, And God speaks to us and His words are like seed. But there's another voice in the garden, isn't there? The devil is speaking. And the devil might be a demon, like presence trying to speak and communicate to you. It could just be through the system of the world. That's why the Bible says, don't be conformed to the pattern of the world. The reality is, is that God's speaking and the devil's speaking. And sometimes when the devil speaks, it doesn't just look like this plain, obvious, well, that's the devil. Sometimes it looks like a tear. Sometimes it's like false wheat. In fact, Elise always says, the devil puts a, what is it, honey? The devil puts truth in every lie. That's what he did with Jesus. Wow! isn't it written that if you cast yourself down, the angels try to use Scripture, try to use the Word of God against the Word of God, test in Him. So anyway, so, so your heart, imagine this, your heart, your soul, okay? Mind, your will, your emotions, your heart, your soul, your inner being, your inner faculties are like a garden bed. It's like soil. It's what Jesus said. God's speaking and there's another voice in the garden speaking. Now, it's up to us to yield ourselves to truth and not allow ourselves to be conformed to the world. Didn't we just read that? Did the Scripture just say, just spend all your days in worship and and you're never going to have to do anything? No, it says, you you need to not present your bodies unto sin. You need to make sure that you use your bodies for righteousness. You need to make sure that you yield yourself and your mind to God and allow God to transform you through the renovation of your mind, your understanding. Now, that's our responsibility One day, we're going to have to give an account to the Lord for how we stewarded our lives. The reality is, is that we we have the, the privilege of being able to give that account because we have the ability to not receive the tears of the enemy. Now, I don't know about you, like I said it's a lot easier to prevent the seed from finding soil than to allow it to grow and then try and get rid of it. Would you agree? Once weeds have grown in your garden, it just spreads everywhere, especially that dang nut grass stuff. Man, you can't get that stuff out. Um, but I, I want to kind of give you uh, some practical tips right now. And uh, we're going to turn, if you, ha- you want to turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3 to 5. 2 Corinthians 10, verse 3 to 5, it says this, For though we walk in the flesh, we have, a, we have a fleshly body, an earthly body, we're walking around living life on this earth in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. We're not fighting people. That's, people aren't our problem. For the weapons of our warfare, okay, now think about this. We are in a war, but we're not fighting people. But then it says for the weapons of our warfare. So we are in a war, it's just not against people. And because we're in a war, we have weapons. The problem is that some of us don't know that we're in a war and some of us don't know that we have weapons. We have no clue how to use these weapons. That's what we're gonna look at right now. For the weapons, uh, sorry, uh, weapons of our warfare are not carnal. Okay, so what does that mean? They're not earthly weapons. You don't have a, you know, you don't fight the devil with a a nine millimetre or a sword or something like that. Okay, they're not natural weapons, but they are mighty in God. Come on, who believes that? Mighty in God for, listen, pulling down strongholds. What type of weapon can pull down a stronghold? That's not a little dagger. That's not like a little purse pistol or something like that. That's like a catapult. That is like a nuke. That's like, you know, I'm talking serious firepower. The weapons that God has given you has the ability to destroy strongholds. Strongholds, casting down arguments. And listen, and every high thing, what? That exalts itself against the knowledge of God. There it is, right there. That's the seed of the Kingdom. That's the Word of God. Bringing every, what? Thoughts. Bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. I want to tell you something, you are not your thoughts. It's true. When you get born again, you become a new creation, but God doesn't wipe your memory. Some of us wish that He would, but He doesn't. He wants to renew your mind, renew your understanding, your perspective, but He doesn't take away your memories. You don't wake, come out of the baptismal water with amnesia. Oh, who am I? I don't know who I am anymore. It's like every B-grade TV movie from the 1990s who was the main character who woke up and had amnesia. Anyone remember that? Some of you weren't even born back then. So anyway, you don't get spiritual amnesia. you don't get physical amnesia. You're still you but you're a new created, recreated version of you, born again of God, under, in the image of God, taken out of darkness into the light. And now there's a journey of you, of the renewing of your mind to cleanse out the old way of thinking and to actually begin to think and to believe how God thinks and believes. This is how you do it. Now, I want to put something out there. I know we're going a little bit over um, if you really nice like please do. If you really need to go, I understand. It's just after five. You can go. Trent was getting up to go. Then God bless you. I won't be offended. I, honestly, I won't be offended. But but if you want to stay, I'll try and wrap this up in the next five minutes. Now, John chapter four says this. It says that God. Jesus said this to the woman at the well. He said, "God is spirit." And those who worship God must worship in and truth. Okay. Who here believes? Give me a wave if you believe that you've heard God speak to you at some point in your life. Okay, a lot of people. Now, when that took place, did all of a sudden the heavens part, Jesus came down in bodily form and stood there in bodily form and spoke to you with His mouth and you heard it audibly with your ears. Did that happen? Okay, so how did you know that you heard God? How did it come to you? Spirit. Jesus isn't here right now in bodily form, is He? He's in the spirit realm. And He speaks because He's a spirit, His primary mode of communication is from His spirit to your spirit in your inner man, your inner being. And your spirit, soul and body is so interconnected that you receive it through the faculties of your understanding, of your heart, of your mind, of your imagination. God created your imagination. Your imagination isn't uh, meant to be evil. Your imagination is meant to be a good thing. It's a God thing. Now, this is the deal. So if that's how God speaks to you, He impresses upon you. Sometimes it comes like a thought, an idea, a feeling. Who else is a spirit? The devil. Now, <laughs> one time I asked this in a church and someone said yeah this happened to me but I don't it's not a common thing who's ever been driving down the road in your car and all of a sudden poof you t- turn next to you and the devil's sitting there in his red suit and pointy tail and pitchfork and and he starts t- he starts giving you an idea he's like why don't you think this or you know that person doesn't love you or you know whatever it might be that person they've rejected you again Who's ever had that happen? Where all of a sudden the devil's there in bodily form, speaks to you in a physical mouth and you hear it with your physical ears. Probably no one. Okay, but this is the reality is the devil has spoken to you though. Demons have spoken to you though. And this is what we need to understand. Jesus said, John 10, My sheep hear my voice, but a stranger's voice they will not follow. He doesn't say they won't hear it. Okay, so in the same way that God is a spirit and He impresses from His Spirit into your spirit and you discern it through your inner faculties, the same way is the exact same way the devil tries to communicate to you. Now, traditionally, I'm really going off topic, but it's good. Traditionally, uh, Jewish uh, shepherds They wouldn't get behind the sheep and drive them. Come on, sheep, drive them. They would go before their sheep and they would make a call. They would make a sound and the sheep would hear the shepherd's voice and go, that's the call of my shepherd. And they would follow their shepherd. Now, if you're a sheep rustler in in, um, Bronze Age or Iron Age uh, Israel, how are you going to try and steal the sheep? You're going to try to mimic the voice or the call of the shepherd, yeah? Think about this. So that means that if God is speaking to you and the enemy is also speaking, there is times and ways where the stranger is trying to speak to you and quite possibly make you think it's the voice of God. How do you know it's the voice of God or the voice of the devil? First and foremost, we understand the rhema word, which is the freshly spoken word. We interpret that through what God's already said. If you hear a voice that says, this is is God's, this is Jesus speaking. And, you know, I want you to go out and worship the donkey in the backyard. You're going to go, hang on a minute. That does not line up with what God's already said. Why? Because there's no contradiction between the logos and the rhema. There's no contradiction between what God's already said and what he's saying today and what he will say for forever. Because Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today and forever. So that's the primary way that you know. The other way is this, is that Jesus it's a dead giveaway. Jesus said a stranger's voice they will not follow. What's wrong with a stranger's voice? It sounds strange. Man, there's just something about that. I just had this impression that this, but yeah, that just something just feels off with that. Something's not quite right. That's a pretty good indication. Does it line up with scripture? Yes or no? Does it sound like the voice of Jesus or does it sound strange? think about that. There's a couple of little examples there, but but this is the thing is we've got to understand that our spirit, our inner faculties, our spirit man, our soul, if you think of it, another little good way to think of it, it's kind of like you're an antenna. And everywhere you drive around in your car, it's like down here if we've got, what's it, 1073 Juice FM playing in the car down here, not that I ever listen to the radio, but when it does come on... I could pick up a station that's here. But if you go to Brisbane and you have 107.3 on your radio, you're going to pick up some very fuzzy classical music station in Brisbane. So... You can sit there and you can dial, like in the olden days, or you can change your receiving. You can change the station. You can tune in to different stations. That's why as a Christian, you're a spirit being, you can go into a room or you can go into a place and you might feel something. You might discern, oh, there's something dark in here. There's something not quite right in here. So that's your spiritually discerning. So, so in the same way, we have to be able to understand and discern the voice of the Lord from the voice of the stranger. But this is the deal. It's like when, uh, well, this is where I was going to get to and I'll kind of finish on this point. I know if you've been around for a little bit, you've probably heard me preach some of these things, but I think it's good. I just really felt we need to go back here. Uh, but when the devil came to Jesus and Jesus was in the wilderness... If Jesus is sitting there looking at a rock, feeling hungry, and all of a sudden, poof, the devil appears in his red suit, pitchfork, pointing to, I know he doesn't look like that, I'm just being silly, being facetious, and says, hey Jesus, I've got a great idea. If you're really the son of God, why didn't you turn that to bread? As if Jesus is gonna fall for that one, seriously. Now, this part, again, this is me. Paul sometimes does that. He says, this is the Word of God. Other times he said, look, I'm not saying God's saying this. I'm saying this to you right now. And this is what I'm saying to you. I'm not saying this is exactly what happened, but I I believe, I have a pretty strong belief and suspicion that this is how it panned out. If the devil doesn't appear to you in bodily form to try and tempt you, why do we think that's what he did with Jesus? It'd be a dead giveaway. The Father just spoke. So here we have another voice, the voice of a stranger, impressing upon Jesus' inner faculties, impressing from the devil's spirit to Jesus' spirit, an idea, a thought, a suggestion, a temptation. Now, if I was the devil and I'm not, that would be what I would do. Doesn't that make sense? Now think about this then. What did Jesus do with the suggestion? Whether it was external, whether it was internal, however it came to Him, what did He do with that suggestion? Did He sit there and cry? Was He a wreck? Oh my gosh, now I'm doubting that I'm the Son of God. Like where did that thought, where did that even come from? Think, Think about this for a moment. How did He deal with it? He spoke the Word of God. So when the seed of the enemy came when the tear came how did Jesus respond he was vicious he was violent against the tears it is written is how he'd always respond man shall not live by bread alone but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of god what was he doing the tear was trying to come the other voice Jesus stood in the truth of the seed of the kingdom which is the word of god and he said this is truth not what you're trying to tell me is the truth that's what eve adam and eve should have done in the garden no god did say this is what god said i don't care what you say i don't care as good as that sounds god said this so that's what's true and that's what's real Time and time again, those three times, every time Jesus resisted Him, it is written, it is written. That's how you resist the devil. These are the weapons of your warfare for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity into the obedience of Christ. So this is the the deal, is I want to encourage you that you are not your thoughts. You are not your temptations. You are not those impressions. Sometimes things come and we're like, what the heck? Where did that come from? Like, why did... And your response is a giveaway of the reality of your heart. If a temptation or a suggestion or a thought comes and you're like, whoa, what the, where did that come from? Or even a dream. Sometimes as Christians, we think that every dream that we have has to come from God. It doesn't. So what do you do with it? You hold it up to Jesus. This is what that word approve means, that you would approve. It's actually a similar word for discerning the fake from the real. You hear the word of the kingdom. You you have a word come in. It could be a, a tear, whatever it might be, a thought. What do you do? You hold it up to the truth that is revealed through Jesus. Does it pass the test? This is not God at all. This is what you need to do with it. If you don't know who you are, you will eat that lie. That's why the temptations against Jesus came against His identity. The devil couldn't give two hoots if Jesus turned a rock into bread. Think about it. What He really was going after was, do you really believe that you are who the Father says you are? That's what the devil wants to know about every single one of you. What do you do with it when a thought comes, a suggestion? Is that thought, does it line up with the truth that's revealed through Jesus? Would that be in the heart of God? Does it line up with what God's already said? If it doesn't meet any of those tests, strike one, strike two, strike three strikes, you're out. This is the problem, is because we've had a suggestion or a thought or whatever it might be, we tend to own it. And then all of a sudden we get down on ourselves and oh man, I don't even know where that came from. You know, I don't know what's wrong with me. You know, why was that? That's the last thing I want to think. That's the last thing I want to do, whatever it might be. And so we actually own it. Instead of doing this, Father, that is the last thing that you want to think. You don't want to think that about that person. You don't want to, you don't have any negative in your heart towards that person. Father, I love them as well. I don't want to think that way. I don't want to be in judgment towards my brother or sister. You've got to know your own heart. And then this is what you do. Father, if that's not in your heart or your mind, if that seed hasn't come from you, Lord, I also know it hasn't come from me. That's the last thing I want to think. I don't want to be offended at that person. I don't want to be bitter, whatever it is, like as if I love that person. So then you've got to make this conclusion. If it hasn't come from you and it hasn't come from me, It could only have come from one other place. And that's the voice of the stranger. And then what you do, James, what I preached a couple of weeks back, maybe a month ago now, you submit to God. Father, I just thank you, Lord, that you love that person. Thank you that you love me. Thank you that, Lord, I love that person too. Thank you that you've called me to love my brothers and sisters. Submit to God. You come in, you bring your mind into alignment with the will of God. Submit to God, and through doing so, you resist the devil. Sometimes you can, at that point, turn and then make a stand. Satan... That's the, that is not in the Father's heart. That's not in my heart. I'm a son of God. I've been bought with the blood of Jesus. I love that person. Whatever it might be, whatever the situation is. So I know that it hasn't come from the Father and it hasn't come from me. So I know it's come from you. So you filthy lying devil, be gone from me. You have no place in my life. I will not receive your false wheat. I will not receive your tears. What are you doing? You are making warfare with the Word of God. What's the Word of God? The sword of the Spirit. What's your, what's your defence? The shield of faith. It's what you believe. Oh, I ain't letting that one through. Come on, what are you doing? You're pulling down strongholds. You're dismantling lies. You're taking thoughts captive. You are not going to get planted in my soul because I'm telling you what, if you don't take those things captive, if you don't take the tears of the enemy captive, what's going to happen? It's going to come right on in. Get planted in your soul. You're walking through life. You see that person again. All of a sudden, now that seed's taken root. Oh, there's that person. Oh, there's such a this. this, You've allowed that thing to take root in your heart. Is this helping anyone? Okay, anyway, I might just finish it up there. It's like, oh, help me, Jesus. I think he has helped me. That's the problem. You aren't your thoughts. Hmm. So this is what I want to encourage you to do. This is your homework, okay? Now, I don't want you to go digging for stuff that ain't there, okay? Don't do that. But this is what I want you to do, is if you know that there are areas of your life, your heart, your mind, responses, man, every time I think of this person, I just feel so angry. Whatever it might be, or maybe sometimes it's like, you know, just those little subtle lies and things that you might believe about yourself, about people, about who the Father is. Sometimes they manifest just in your thought life. Sometimes they might manifest in your actions. Maybe there's actions, maybe there's things that you do. Maybe it's like you feel when you feel a certain way, you tend to go out and get a six pack of beer and drink until you can't think anymore. Whatever it might be. I'm just thinking of examples. The reality is, is the actions or the fruit is a symptom of another problem. And the problem is what you believe, what you've allowed to take root and to grow in your heart. So this is what I want to encourage you to do, is if you know that there are areas that aren't in alignment with God's perfect will, then I want you to talk to the Lord about it. Don't just focus on the what, but focus on the why. God, why is it that every time I'm, I don't know, with my family, I just always feel so frustrated? Lord, what's really going on? Jesus, I know that you wouldn't feel that way. But if we're really real with ourselves, Lord, why is it? And then this is what I want you to do is as you do that, any of those lies that have already taken root, some of those thorns that are restricting you from bearing fruit... Remember that if, if it's not the Word of God, the tares are the, is the word of the enemy, false wheat, other belief systems, other lies that you've entertained, that you've believed about yourself or other people, then this is what you need to do is when God shows you the why through prayer, through studying the Word of God, okay, then I want you to write a list. This is what I do with people who struggle with different things. I want you to write a list of those areas and then I want you to pray into them and write a list of all the whys, all the beliefs that you have that are attached to that thing. And then this is what I want you to do is I want you to find Scripture that tells you what God thinks about those things. And then what you're doing is, is you're uncovering Lies that you believe, and then you're discovering what God says about those areas. And then what you do is, when you see the truth, Lord, uh, you know what? I get really frustrated when I'm around my family because because X, Y, Z. But Father, that's not the truth, Lord. You've given me a new heart, Lord. Whatever it might be, Lord, I love them. I forgive them, Lord, for whatever they've done. I've moved on from that. Whatever it might be, then what you're doing is is you you see what the lie is. You're not ignorant of the devil's devices because that's how he works. It's like a one-two punch, like jab, jab, hook. Sometimes I've noticed times when like there's been things happen in my life. I'm like, I'm waiting for the hook because I know how the enemy works. Gets you feeling tired, gets you feeling exhausted, then all of a sudden this lie comes in, whatever it might be. Okay, you gotta watch for those for those things. And but then what you do is is you never step into freedom by focusing on the lie. You step into freedom by focusing on the truth. But sometimes we don't know what we don't know. And some of us have lived with mindsets and thorns in our heart and our mind for so long, areas that haven't been renovated because we haven't really surrendered them to the Lord, sometimes we'll justify it. Oh, well, they deserve it. They deserve me to get angry with them. They're just this, that and the other. You know, since when, but again, what does God say? Forgive, release, Love. So as you do that, I want you to focus not on the lie now. I want you to focus on the truth. And I want you to begin to sow that truth into your soul. And anytime you might be feeling that thought, that emotion, that temptation, whatever it might be, now you've got a quiver full of weed killer. Selective weed killer. If you want to kill nutgrass, you've got to use a really special kind of weed because regular weed killer doesn't kill it. So whatever that lie is, what is the truth about that lie? What does God really say? And then you put that in your quiver. And then when those thoughts and those lies come, I've got the thing just for this lie. Oh, you're just always rejected. Everyone always rejects you. No one loves you. The Bible says, God says that I have been accepted in the beloved. Father, thank you. When that thought comes, Father, thank you. I'm not rejected. It doesn't matter if the whole world rejects me. Lord, you have accepted me. And if you have accepted me, Lord, I'm not gonna allow the rejection of man to determine who I am. I'm gonna allow your acceptance to determine my joy, Jesus. What are you doing? You're identifying those lies. You're understanding the truth about those lies. And when those seeds come, you take them captive and you submit to God in truth. And in doing so, you resist the devil. And as you do that time and time again, there might be areas that, that, the, that the devil has had access in the past, to sowing seeds or self-doubt, whatever it might be. There might be areas where the devil's uh, had access point into your mind or your soul. But if you reinforce that by the truth, he's going to come back again. In fact, when he left Jesus in the wilderness, it said that he went away, that he would come back at a more opportune time. So, if there's an area that he's owned you, don't be surprised if when you reinforce that with truth, he comes back to test it and he tries to sow that tear. And if you bite the bait, if you believe the lie, what's going to happen? You're gonna, your mind's going to stay unrenewed, unrenovated. And your, that area of your life isn't going to prove the good and acceptable, perfect will of God. But if it comes and you, you know what God says, you've submitted to God, you exalt that truth, you reject the lie, you take that thought captive and you stand in that place. If you do that over and over and over again, every time the devil comes knocking, sooner or later, he's going to give up trying. But if every time he comes, you just bow the knee and you cave in and you bite the lie, he's just, he's just going to keep coming back over and over again. So I said about a month ago, Submit to God, resist the devil, and he'll flee from you. If he's not fleeing, it's only because step one or step two or both of them aren't in play. And it's not just resist the devil and he'll flee. It's not just a spiritual boxing match with the devil and we're just binding and rebuking stuff. That doesn't do anything unless you have submitted to God. That doesn't do anything unless you've, you've devoured truth and you know the truth. Because it's the truth that sets you free, the truth revealed through Jesus. Anyway, I try to wrap this up, try to make it really practical. But yeah, so again, don't go fishing, okay? You don't need to do that, all right? What's dead, what's renovated, you don't need to go in and re-renovate it. But if you know and you would know if there are areas of your life that aren't in line with the will of God, then I would encourage you to go before God and talk about those things, all right? And get His perspective and His truth. All right, I'm going to finish it up. So I'm going to pray right now. Father, we just thank You for Your truth. Thank You for the seed of Your Kingdom, Lord. Father, thank You, Lord, that You have given us understanding, Lord. Thank You, Jesus, that You have shown us, You have shown us, Lord, what truth looks like. Because Jesus, You are truth. So Lord, right now, I just pray for every one of us in this room. Lord, I thank You for the freedom that You bring. Thank You for the the deliverance that You've brought us, Jesus. Thank You You've taken us out of the darkness and into the light, Lord. But Lord, right now, I just pray, Lord, if there are any areas of our understanding, any areas of our mind, our heart, Lord, our emotions, Lord, that aren't in line with Your truth, Father, I pray that You would reveal to us the reality of those situations. Reveal to us the reality, maybe some of them are uh, sin addictions, maybe the habitual things. Whatever it might be, Jesus, I just pray that You would show us, Lord, what it is that we might be believing that's perpetuating that thing in our life. And Lord, I pray that You would show us the truth about that situation. Show us the truth, Lord, to counteract the lie so that we can take every thought captive, submit to You, and resist the devil. And Lord, through that journey of renovating our mind, that that area of our lives would prove, would reveal what Your perfect will looks like. Father, I thank You for that, Lord, in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. You've been listening to a Zion Church podcast. For more information about Zion Church, go to zionchurch.info. You can follow us on Facebook at facebook.com slash zionchurchgc. And on Instagram, we're at zionchurchofficial.